You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 264 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Tom Rossi has been in the software business since starting his company in 1996. He's the co-founder of Higher Pixels, the company behind several web-based products, including Buzzsprout podcast hosting, TikTime tracking, and donor tools donor management. He lives in Jacksonville, Florida with his wife and four children and serves on the board of several nonprofit organizations. He's here to talk about transitioning from a client service business to a product company and being intentionally small. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Tom, can you please tell us your developer origin story? Uh, my developer origin story, I was, I was, it was fun to reflect on this as I, was, I knew the question was going to be here. Um, I, I was thinking back to, the, to working on a Commodore PET uh, when I was just a kid. I mean, a Commodore PET, an Atari 400, an Apple IIe. I mean, I have played with computers, uh, I mean, since I was just a little kid. And it seems like it always revolved around playing video games, uh, making sure, you know, that I had some way to play games with one of these computers. But I did that for, for years all the way through college. Um, I went to college for aerospace engineering. And um, even though it wasn't necessarily part of my degree, I was always messing with computers in school. And when I got out and started working as a defense contractor, you know, they figure out that you're a computer person and that's, that's all you do. So I started working on software projects uh, at the defense contractor and did that for a number of years. And then right around uh, 1993, I was working on a defense project and the group that I was a part of, they had this strange string of characters at the top of one of their flyers. And I was like, what is this? And it was a WWW and it had a tilde and all kinds of you know stuff I had never seen before. And one of the other engineers was like, oh, that's a worldwide web address. And that was my introduction into the web. And at that point, it, it really changed everything for me. I had been doing software, but I had never seen anything like the web. And uh, I went ahead and quit my job in, in 1995 and then started working on developing a business around helping businesses and nonprofits understand and apply the technologies that were coming out of the, the internet. So building websites and computer telephony for phone systems and things like that. And that's where I started. So in this consultancy, helping businesses and nonprofits with those technologies. And at the time I focused on Microsoft, um, I felt like they were, uh, they were a big stable company. They were gonna be at the forefront of things that were going on. And so we were 100% Microsoft. And as we grew, I did less and less code and more and more sales. Um, and it hurt, you know, to, to move out of, out of the, the coding, uh, but in a client services business, you know that the challenge uh, associated with that is the bigger you get, the more you have to sell because every time you sell a big project, you've got to have another one right behind it to, to keep everybody busy and more people, bigger payroll, bigger projects. Uh, that's, that's just the challenge in, in client services. Well, fast forward. So that was 1995, 1996, uh, 2001 comes around and 9-11 happens and it was it was devastating. It was devastating to our business. Um, I mean, at the time we were about 50% business, 50% nonprofit, but they all, they all stopped spending money. They basically froze all of their capital expenditures. 
which was everything that we did. And I'm sitting on a staff of 20, you know, talented people, people that I've personally, you know, gotten to know and recruited. And I've got all these clients that they, they won't spend any money. And they also want you to be available as soon as the freeze is lifted. And so you've got this real challenge, you know, what do you do? You don't want to let people go, but you know, how are you going to pay the bills and have to keep people busy? So we made a transition at that point to start working on products. We're like, well, we got to, we got to do something. So let's start building things that we've always talked about. And we went ahead and built a couple pro products on uh, Microsoft.net. And one of them we, we sold uh, to another company. And one of the other products was a product called M-Sites. And it was a monthly recurring subscription. So this was 2001. There wasn't a lot of SaaS out there. There was, no, there was nothing like what we see today in terms of understanding how this business grows and what it looks like. And uh, it was just great to have some kind of recurring revenue. So that product, M-Sites, continued to grow and do well. And then as people kind of left, mostly by natural attrition, it, it got to the point where the company was getting smaller and smaller. And still, that product continued to grow. And then in 2003, 2004, it pretty much was just me, and the product was paying all my bills. Um, the company had really evolved at that point <laughs> from from being a client services business to a lifestyle business. I mean, it was paying, it was, it was giving me a ton of freedom. Uh, it allowed me to, to spend time with my family that was growing, you know, got babies at home and allowed me to serve with some ministries that I was passionate about. And then uh, in 2005, one of my good friends, uh, Kevin Finn, uh, who had worked with me previously, he had an idea for, for a product. And I said, man, this product thing is awesome. This is much better than, you know, the, the client services that, that we've been doing before. Like it, it's, you can just build a great product. You don't have a client telling you what you can and can't do. Um, you just build something that's really good and you build this recurring revenue. We don't care about upfront money. We care about, you know, getting them to, to pay us a monthly fee. So we had always talked about uh, a product to help teams hit their budget. When you've got a team of, you know, 20 developers and you've got a certain number of hours that you can spend to be able to make sure that the, the product is, or the project is profitable. And so that began uh, development of a product that we call Tick. And so Tick is a time tracking application that's designed to, uh, to address that issue. Now at that point in 2005, my, my friend who you know, had the idea for this company, he's a designer, he's not a coder at all, but he had seen the video of David the infamous video of him, you know, introducing Ruby on Rails. And he said, look, I know you're a Microsoft guy, but watch this video. Just watch this video and consider maybe we build Tick instead of on Microsoft. Let's, let's build it on Ruby on Rails. And so, I mean, I watched the video over, I mean, I, I must have watched that video a thousand times, you know, <laughs> set it up on my system and, you know, you're like pausing it. Like, what key is he hitting? How did he do that? And just watching the, the whole thing and, I got to a point where I set up a little competition with one of my old .NET guys. Uh, I brought him in, and both of us spent an entire day working on uh, some requirements that I put together. And I said, okay, let's compare notes at the end of the day and see who got further. So you're going to do it in .NET, and I'm going to do it on Ruby on Rails. And at the end of the day, I mean, it was, it was clear that not only was the code much more beautiful and easy to understand, but I had gotten way further than he was able to get in .NET. And this is, uh, this is still, this is early, it's 2005, so even .NET didn't have MVC. There, there wasn't mm -hmm. architectures out there that people were taking advantage of. So it's not a knock on Microsoft, but at the time, Ruby on Rails was clearly just better. And so 
that began us developing our first product in Ruby on Rails, and that was Tick. And so we launched it later that year, um, and it was it was great. I mean, not after not too long after we launched it, we just got to see it grow and began the transition of really, you know, how do you how do you manage a product? Um, now there's two of us in the company, which is a great lifestyle business at that point because it provides. Uh, you know, enough income for the both of us between our two products at that time, M Sites and Tick. And uh, and he's a designer, I'm a I'm a coder. So together we can pretty much do whatever we want um, to, to be able to con continue to develop these products. So we did that for uh, a number of years. And then in 2008, we launched our next product, which was Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a podcast hosting uh, platform. And that was really born out of our experience with M Sites where we were working with a lot of churches and churches needed to get their sermon audio online. And that's, that's at the time, was really challenging technically, you know, building an RSS feed and hosting the audio and everything. So Buzzsprout was originally designed for them, but, I mean, immediately after we launched it, we started picking up uh, people that were just interested in a simple solution to set up a podcast. And this is long before, I mean, now podcasting is huge and Buzzsprout is exploding. But um, at the time, you know, not a lot of people talked about podcasting. So that was uh, 2008, and then in 2013, we took on another partner, a good friend of mine, Marshall Brown. He came on board, and we launched a product in the medical space called StreamCare. And that was just something that uh, he had had some experience in, and we had had some friends that were in. And we were like, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's launch another product. Um, and we made a decision at that point of let's grow this business outside of just a lifestyle business. Instead of just being you know Kevin and I, just one designer and one programmer, let's start building company and not just uh, you know not just to be big but to try and share this entrepreneurial experience that we've had with the the rest of the team like let's bring on people that that share that passion and that they want the the lifestyle balance that we've been able to enjoy um, they want to do that from a product side and so that began um, our development of a product called stream care and now fast forward we've got there's 14 of us in the company five developers um, the five developers are three Rails coders and two designers, and we continue to run Tick, Buzzsprout, StreamCare. Oh, and there's another product in there, Donor Tools, which we kind of acquired through uh, our relationship with M Sites. M Sites is still around, but we don't promote it because I mean it, it was built it was built years ago, and uh, I mean it was before Facebook, before Twitter. Uh, when we launched it, and it's really, it's uh, it's a content management system for people. It's got a calendar and a photo album and all kinds of things. I mean, I tell people, if the people that are still on M sites, I tell them, please, you go go somewhere else. There's better products <laughs> out there. But they're like, no, we know this product. And we're like, okay, we'll continue to support it for as long as we have people on it. But And so anyways, M, M sites led us to Donor Tools, which is another product um, that's donor management for nonprofits. And that's just something that we're passionate about is helping nonprofits. And um, it's more of a, of a passion project than anything else. That is so cool. First of all, that's a, an incredible story. And I love how much, um, how much advancement you've had because you've relied on Ruby on Rails all these years. First of all, I think you're the third podcast in a row to mention the DHH video. So I'm about to, <laughs> about to put the DHH video as a sponsor at this point. But I also really love the fact that a designer recommended Ruby on Rails to you, that it was so accessible and understandable to someone who doesn't uh, program day to day, that someone would recommend that video is just absolutely really cool. 
So you're currently managing four different applications that are all in Ruby on Rails. How similar are their infrastructures? Are they easy to upgrade and maintain? Is it easy to rule out one feature on one and maybe bring it over to another? How does that all look for you? Yeah, it's it's challenging. Um, one of our developers, John Pollard, who um, leads a lot of the development, he really wanted to get us all on the same version of Rails. At one point, uh, all of our products were on different versions, and it gets really complicated when you go yes. <laughs> uh, from one to the other. And so uh, he put forth a concerted effort to get us all up to uh, Rails 5.2. And so now all of our products are on Rails 5.2, and then we, we bring in – uh, we'll start taking advantage of different features, typically on one product first, and then we'll get to see it work, and then we can bring it to the others. That's excellent. And at this point, you've pretty much put all of your eggs in all of your eggs in the same basket with Ruby on Rails. So, what continues to draw you to that Ruby on Rails community? Um, I mean, ever ever since we started, the Ruby community is just—it's amazing. I mean, I'll never forget. Back then, again, I had been out of coding for years. I mean, I ran a company, but I was just doing the sales. I wasn't doing the coding. I, I, I knew nothing. And so when I was getting into Ruby on Rails, uh, I needed a lot of help. And I remember jumping onto IRC and just asking questions. And the community was so, so accepting. Uh, they didn't judge you for the stupid questions that you might ask. And they just helped. helped. And uh I've always appreciated that, and I've always appreciated David and Basecamp and uh, what they've done with just being so transparent and helping companies like ours um, apply really good principles to the way that we the way that we grow. And so I think that that's had a, a lot of uh, a lot of impact. I also there's there's also a a piece of the Ruby community puts a high value on uh, writing beautiful code, and that really resonates with me. Like I love. I love writing beautiful code. I remember I told you I worked at a defense contractor, right? I remember mm -hmm. printing out my code. Like, what, a, what an idiot. I printed out my code and would turn it into my boss. Now, my boss doesn't code. Why was I doing that? It was because I was proud. I was proud of this code that I'd written. And the poor guy, you know, as soon as I walked out of the office, he just threw it in the trash. Like, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't care about the code. But, but the Ruby community, I love, I love that there's all this conversation about, well, what's an elegant way to solve this problem? What's a beautiful way to write this code? And so that, that I think, is a big draw for me uh, to stay in the Ruby on Rails community. So you've been here since Rails 1. So from Rails 1 to 6, what feature did you get the most excited about when they announced it to the community? Um, I think the introduction of REST, when REST, um, when REST was first being talked about uh, that it was going to be that Rails was going to accept that as an opinion of the way that you should write your controllers and the way that you should write your routes. At first, I wouldn't say I was excited about it, but once I started to read and understand it, uh, that was something that, that dramatically impacted my ability to write code because now I had a pattern that I could follow. It was something that allowed me to be more systematic in the way that I approached um, the, the layout of your controllers and your actions and things like that. And one of the, the things that is so great about Rails is it has an opinion and you can follow that opinion and it will, you know, reap a reward for you. But there wasn't, an, before REST was part of that opinion, uh, there, there, you could just, it was the Wild West. You could do it any way you want. And so that, that was something that was really big. And one of the things I, I want to mention too that we're really optimistic about in our office um, is stimulus because, and stimulus isn't part of Rails, but 
it's grown out of that same um, DNA of, of, of providing an opinion. If you're going to do server-generated JavaScript responses, if you're going to if you're going to build your Rails app and, uh, and follow that certain pattern, Stimulus provides you with a pattern for writing your JavaScript code, and so that's something that it's not really Rails, but it's something that we're we're optimistic about. And we're all talking about, and we've just started to implement it in uh, one of our apps, and then we'll we'll begin bringing it over to our others once we kind of get our arms around it. That's really good timing because about two weeks ago, we started implementing it in our app as well. And we're all also very excited about it. We think it's going to be really great for our application as well. Um, yeah, I, a lot of great things come out of Basecamp and Stimulus is definitely one of them. So we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. There is a better version of the internet and it's already here. It's a decentralized one, free from data breaches and privacy abuses where you own your own identity and data. Blockstack is an open computing protocol that makes it easy for developers to build applications that guarantee their users' digital rights. Blockstack provides a stack of important layers developers can use so that the people who use their applications truly own their own data, own their identity, and even their content connections. These decentralized applications are more secure than traditional options, and with Blockstack, you make no sacrifices on performance or scalability. Blockstack is open source, free, and Blockstack community has built libraries to make things easy for the Ruby community to get started. Ruby developers can get started in about 45 minutes with a zero to dap tutorial, which will take you through building your first decentralized application and give you a good feel for the possibilities and benefits of the protocol. Developers can even get paid to build better applications using Blockstack via the app mining program, which pays out $100,000 a month directly to developers. The Blockstack ecosystem is hard at work providing better, safer, user-owned applications to people that need them now more than ever. Learn more and get started at blockstack.org slash Ruby on Rails. Link is in the show notes. Thank you to Blockstack for sponsoring the Ruby on Rails podcast. Now, you mentioned you were the primary programmer to this day. How were you able to do that with five successful applications? Um, it's challenging. It doesn't... It doesn't happen by accident. I think you have to be intentional about how you approach, um, you know, your development. So to to be uh, as lean as we are, uh, we have to be intentional about what we choose to take on and not take on. So, for example, making a decision about features that you want to develop or dependencies that you may want to introduce into your app. It's a gem or it's a, an API that you're going to integrate with. All of these things... Um, we're not just taking into account the amount of time it's going to take to develop, but the amount of time that it's going to take to keep it going, to maintain it. And we don't want to, uh, you know, write a, write a check basically that we're going to have to cash with people's time uh, for years to come. Because if that's the case, then it's, it's going to make it really hard for us to keep our team small and still be able to get our arms around the products. And it's, it's also, it's somewhat related to our approach for how we build products because we we put a high value on simple and elegant solutions to seemingly complex problems. So all of our, all of our products kind of share that trait. Uh, for example, Buzzsprout, we make it very simple and elegant for how you would host your podcast, how you upload your episode and how you edit your feed and do these different things. Or for tick, for time tracking, how, we make it very simple for how you can get feedback as to where you are in your budget for your project. And so that kind of has to do with putting a high value on simplicity. And it's not always easy, which is funny, because uh, <laughs> one, one thing we know is simple isn't easy. It That's takes a true. lot of time. Yeah. 
it takes a lot of time uh, and you have to be really intentional about it and just throwing mass at a problem uh, you know you might be able to get there quickest but it isn't the best for the customer and it's it's certainly not going to help you um, keep your team lean and make it so that you're not uh, you know dependent on having a lot of people working crazy hours do you have a higher pixel way of writing Ruby so that you can keep the team lean and that so different team members can jump from application to application? Yeah, yeah, we um, we don't currently run something like uh, RuboCop, but it's something that we're looking at making actually part of our of our uh, development process. But right now, uh, there's there's only three coders, and so. John, myself, and Brian, Brian Hunt, he's, um, uh, I was talking about stimulus earlier, he's leading a lot of that stimulus development right now. The three of us will work together on what are the patterns that we want to adopt in our, in our applications. And so when we've adopted a pattern, then we can apply that across all of our different products. And sometimes maybe it's a new pattern, and so we'll apply it to one product, but then whenever we go back to touch that code uh, for something else, like let's say we're going to go make it an enhancement uh, to one of the other products, then we'll follow that pattern over there. So it's not like we're going and, and making changes all the time to keep things consistent. You know, we talk about putting blinders on where sometimes we'll go in and we're saying, okay, I'm just going to go in and, and get this feature to work. I'm going to put blinders on to the fact that some of this other code is old and needs to get updated uh, to follow some of our newer patterns, but I'm just going to go uh, add this feature that needs to be added and I'm going to do it following uh, our more recent patterns of how we do things. Do you have any particular tools or libraries in the Rails sphere that are musts for your team? Um, like for example, do you always use Devise for authentication? Do you always use Rails admin for an admin interface? Are there certain gems that you always reach for? There's, there's really not. We, I, uh, I think I've seen so many gems come and go. I am to a fault reluctant to introduce gems. Since all of our apps, we didn't even introduce Devise until our latest version of Donor Tools, which we launched uh, last year. Um, and so there's not there's not really any gems that come to mind that we that are just must haves for us. Um, That's interesting but, though, because like in the JavaScript community, there's a huge push for maybe we shouldn't implement a framework. Maybe we should just be writing vanilla JavaScript. And I think we're starting to see a stirring of that in the Ruby community, especially with keeping up with dependency management. So that's interesting that you tend to lean towards writing from scratch Ruby code versus just adding in a gem. Yeah, especially for things that that you know you can write. Now, I mean, I wrote an authentication uh, system before Devise was around, so it was easy for us to be able to pull that into our other into our other apps. Um, but there's, there's tons of times where there's something that we want to do, and yeah, there's a gem that, that will do it, but do I really want to introduce that dependency, or can I solve it with my own code? And since I'm going to be married to this code for a long time, right? I'm not, I'm not building code that I'm turning over to a, a client who then, you know, he's going to manage it on his own. This is my code. I'm going to be living with it uh, for years. We tend to write our own code um, Whenever, whenever it makes sense. I mean, there's some times where you're going to go use a gem, um, but it's, it's, we're, we're very picky in which gems we'll let into our products. Interesting. So, Tom, how can our listeners follow you and Higher Pixels? Um, you can check out any of our products if you go to higherpixels.com and 
Uh, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at any of our products. Most people would know our products before they would know higher pixels. So you can follow Buzzsprout or Tick uh, on any of our, our Twitter accounts. Great. Well, thank you for joining me on the show today, Tom. Listeners, after hearing Tom's story, I hope you find inspiration to type out Rails new and start your own business. Next week, my guest hosts Nick and Jose will be stepping in for a catch-up episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>